0: Alright, so welcome to the Nurses in the No Show. I'm your co host, Kristen, and this is the other co host, Hannah. And we would like to welcome you to the Nurses
1: Nurses in the the No No Show. Show. Today we have a very special guest, the Jonathan Dodson. A lot of you guys may follow him on social media, TikTok, Instagram. He makes hilarious videos and he's a critical care and nurse practitioner working in the midst of this COVID pandemic right now. Jonathan, introduce yourself. Um, let's, let's get this party started. We're really excited.
2: Well, I'm glad we could do this. I'm glad to be here. Uh, but as you, as you said, uh, my name is Jonathan Dodson. Uh, I started all this stuff on TikTok and Instagram during this pandemic. And, uh, I guess it kind of developed a little bit of a following, and which I wasn't expecting. I literally just started doing this uh, more of an outlet. Like, what 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 else were you going to do when you're stuck at home for you know months on end? Needed some type of creative outlet. But I'm glad I could be here. And uh, yeah, let's get started.
1: We're really excited to have you today. So let's start. Like. From the beginning, what made you become a nurse and how long have you
2: been a nurse? I guess I'm a little Don't bit I'm older. Probably, I'm probably older than you guys, huh? I, I graduated in 2008. Uh,
1: Just a smidge. Yeah. <laughs> Not by much. It's okay.
2: <laughs> um, so what, what is that? What are we going on? 13 years? Uh, yeah. What got me in uh, to nursing was obviously my, my cancer. I graduated you know high school back in like '02. I mean so I had a little lull uh where I went to college essentially to 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 play football. I went to a, a small D1 aa school, but I was there to play football and didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I'm 18 years old. I'm just <laughs> I go to college to 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 play sports and and really just have fun. And I started out as a computer science major actually.
1: Big <laughs> <that's> difference. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> and uh you know I go through my freshman year of just like gen eds and stuff like i'm 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 working out all the time you know for for football and mm-hmm. and uh I'm training kinda every day and like working a summer job you know just trying to do like your normal like i'm a i'm a college teen home from school type stuff and uh so i I started like feeling bad and and started getting real tired and July thirteenth of two thousand and three is whenever they told me this. And so I go down to, I go to Pittsburgh for, for this, for my treatment, spent the next essentially two to three years, you know, kind of dealing with this. And, and it was that experience. It was over those couple year time, those couple years where I was like, I, I want to do, I want, I want, I want to help people the way that these people are helping me. You know, and, and it was it was the nurses, it was the doctors, it was EBS crew, uh, yeah. It, the, on, and, I, and and people probably, oh, what do you mean? Like, well, I, I remember like the the one guy that would come in and like empty my like the, take out the trash and stuff. You know, every morning, to, I would talk to him about uh, horror movies. Physical therapist and occupational therapist that I dealt with while I was in the hospital. You know, you're 19 years old. Your friends are out having fun, and, and here you are stuck in you know, essentially. What feels like a cell a at times you know you can't get any real sunlight you know the sunlight you're getting you know you just can't feel it it's just through the window you know and like even like my ptot people uh <laughs> when i would be like I, I just don't want to do it today they're like no you're doing it but all these but all these people that i met throughout this throughout this journey regardless of, of the tier uh or their title you know had helped me And i was like i i want to do something in healthcare. and there were a handful of like Kind of specific moments during this time frame where I could, where I could really pinpoint, I think, where I was like, I want to be a nurse. You know, one of those more specifically, uh, the time I, I was on, I'd relapsed a few times uh, after my treatments, and one of the time, my the last time before my transplant, I had relapsed, and the leukemia that I had had at AML uh, had broken my blood-brain barrier. And so it was essentially circulating through my, my spine and my brain. Wow. And I was in, I was in rough shape and where I was getting treated at the, at the time, you know, they weren't familiar with it. They wanted to, they wanted to, to send me, you know, to another, uh, essentially a university hospital you know, across the country that, that had treated this before at, at the time. And I don't, I, I can honestly say I never looked it up past that. I don't know statistically if, if it's common, if it's not common anymore. I, I, I just know what they told me at the time, which was they had never treated it uh, there uh, and or successfully treated it there five cases of it at the University of Texas and I'm in at uh, this time I'm in Pittsburgh and I was I was getting worse at the time because that no treatments were really initiated and, you know so it's it's my mom and my dad and the and the doc talking and we came in and they said you know what a you know my mom and my dad you know what what should we do you know what what are the options like this is uh, essentially already denied the fact that I wasn't going to be flown across the country. And, and the kind of the reasoning was, you know, I'm not, I don't want to, you're, you're essentially telling me you think I'm going to die, right? You're telling me that there's only about a 3% chance that I'm going to survive this at this time. I don't want to fly across the country and, and die alone. If I'm going to die, I'd rather die at least close to, to my friends and my family where people were around me and people care. So it already kind of wiped that one off the, off the board. Um, you know, but, but they're talking to my mom and my dad, you know, know, what, what should we do? What are the options? You know, essentially three options at this. Uh, it's, it's put a shunt in his head and we can do chemo that way. Second option is intrathecal chemo and do spinal taps, you know, for however long that we need. Right. And the the third option is, is say, Hey, look, this, we understand that this is the, this, the prognosis is extremely grim. We'll send him home on a hospice where he can, where you guys can be with him and he, and he can die in the comfort of his own home with his friends and his family around. Uh, you know, cause you know, you know, that's the reason I didn't want to be flown across the country. Cause I didn't want to be in that position where I would die by myself.
1: Right. Right.
2: And it was, it was the nurse uh, at the time, you know, my, my mom and my dad had asked me. well, I said, you know, he, and this may sound superficial, but I'm 19 years old. Like he's not going to want to shunt in his head. He's 19 years old. And It's
1: not superficial.
2: And and let's take that one off the table. Let's you know, what are the other you know, the, the the spinal taps or the hospice care. If this were your son, what would you what would you do? And he said, you know, if this were my son, knowing what I know, I, I would I would take him home and keep him comfortable and have his mm-hmm. friends and his family around, you know, let him pass away and, you know, kind of in the comfort of his own home because they knew that was important to me. Right. And it was, it was the nurse who kind of, who stepped, so she steps in between and she said, you, you will not, you will not send this kid home, you know, he's beaten this uh, twice before already you, know, you have to give him a chance. And so they ultimately opted for the spinal taps. That was the route we chose, and and thankfully, you know, it worked. But do I know w- w- when my parents ultimately have chosen the hospice route? I don't know. Uh, the heat of the moment, but but it was that nurse right there, yeah, that stepped in and ultimately changed potentially my fate. You know,
1: for sure, for sure. And
2: and it's, and it's like okay, like I want to have that kind of an impact. I want to be able to help somebody the way that these people help me, and that's that's obviously an extreme. But yeah,
1: I think that might be like the best. Why did you become a nurse story I've ever heard, right? Or or entrance
0: <laughs> entrance letter as to why you would li- you would like to be in this program. <laughs> I'm over here, like, oh my gosh! I could not imagine having a 19-year-old and what your parents had to go through. I mean, do they have um, a background in medicine, or are you kind of like that person in the family?
2: My my parents, no. I, in fact, I was the first person really to even go to college. My brothers didn't. They're, I have two older brothers. My brothers didn't. My uh, my mom and my dad didn't. You know, so I'm the only one in my immediate family to even have have gone to college at this time. Uh, So there's no medical background or no medical training. Um,
1: And at that time, you weren't in nursing school or anything like that yet, right? No.
2: No, no.
1: Wow. It's truly amazing Um, what a profound impact, not just the nurse who like essentially saved you, but even just like those EBS workers, people like that who really have kind of stuck with you that the fact that they like. know they're chit chatting with you about horror movies and like that still sticks with you today.
2: Um I think as
1: nurses, especially right now during this pandemic, it's easy to forget that we do have that profound impact on others. And it may not be a life saving like, no, we're gonna fight for this person, which we do we can do. We can do absolutely. But also it can simply just be like, hey, that's a cool movie.
2: You know (laughs) what I mean? You know what I
1: mean? And like we forget those things impact other people as much as they do. Um, and often we don't even hear about the impact that we have on others until like something like this, like, you know what I mean? Chance. Like, have you talked to that EVS worker?
2: Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I haven't talked to him, in, I haven't talked to him in years. Uh, uh, but, 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 but I, re- but I mean? remember him. Like he, he like, impacted yeah. me. It's
1: great. Right. You remember him. Yeah. But, but does he remember do, I doubt that he has any clue the impact that he had on you is what I'm getting at. yeah like yeah, it's okay, yeah. easy to like just go about your everyday life and be like, really burnout. I'm going on a side tangent. but it's easy to go about your everyday life and get burnout and forget that you still have an impact on other people and it can be as something as small as. Hey, that's a cool movie.
2: I think one of the the cooler stories and, and when you talk about like the little things that that you do uh on you know as a healthcare provider. I, and I don't know why this story sticks out in, in my head, but it always it always has you know shortly after I I started working uh as a nurse. And and I don't know why, but one of the, and I, probably just from being a guy, one of the things I I was always big on was um, and I, I've worked critical care my my whole career. I've never been outside of critical care. One of my pet peeves, or not pet peeves, but one of my things is it, when I would take when I would have like a a, a guy a patient was shaving, and I don't know why, and it's probably just my from me being a guy is like you know the the feeling of a clean shave. It, on I have all my patients that were. You know, sedated and intubated uh, almost every night. Uh, wh- like when we did the bass, you know, I, w- I would shave, I would shave him. Older, it was he was an older fellow, and was intubated for some a, a number of days, and uh, initially wasn't expected to make it. Long story short, he did. Uh, but every night I would I would shave him uh, just because that was what I like. That's what I did. It was my routine. So it was probably about a year later. You know, the, the guy gets better, gets out of the hospital. I walk into work, and and there's a guy standing there, and they're like they're like, hey. And uh, they're like, hey, Jonathan, you know, this, this, this guy's here to see you. And I'm, I'm just staring at him and I'm like. <laughs> Who, oh, are yeah. <laughs> I'm like Who are you? Yeah. Who are you? like,
0: oh, hi. Did you bring muffins or donuts today?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and he said, you're, he's like, you're Jonathan. And he shakes my hand and he, he tears up and he was like, I, I want to thank you. Aww. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, For what? And he, said, and he said his name and he's like, he's like, I wanted to come back and thank you. He said, when I was in a coma, I don't remember anything. He said, but I do remember the only thing I can remember from my entire hospital stay, shaving, <laughs> shaving my face and talking to me.
0: Aww. You know,
2: when you're doing it at the time, it doesn't sound, you know, you don't think that you're making this profound impact, but like, that's the one thing that this guy remembered about his stay and was so thankful and so grateful. Like, yeah, we saved his life um obviously uh and he he made it out and lived but it was it was the little things that 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 we do too along the road it's not just these big uh right. profound your heart stopped and i did cpr and and yeah you know restarted your heart it's it's, it's sometimes it's just the little things that make the difference and it was like so, that it was like that when i was the patient too you know, you know yeah. when i was feeling bad like my my uh one of my doctors uh, um would come in and he would talk to me but he 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 wouldn't talk to me you know necessarily about medical stuff he would come in and just sit down and talk to me about uh fantasy football cuz i was a huge football fan uh, i was stuck in the hospital for 96 days at one point mm. and uh wow. you know you, you start to get like depressed and like you know i had i had one nurse uh would buy me uh a Rita's ice uh, like Aww. like things like that that we do it's not always these big profound like you know yeah
0: Gestures. Gestures. Yeah, sometimes it, it's like um, remembering that, hey, they like their tea with two creamers and a, a spoon instead of a stir, like those little things.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah.
1: So we won't get too much into kind of your, your cancer history and all that. I know you, You've you've been talking a lot about sorry you've been talking a lot about it recently. I know you just did an episode with Evie and everything he's going through. So if you guys want to hear more about that, we're totally shameless plug. Um, he's he's awesome. Um, you can hear more of Jonathan's story there. Um, but Jonathan, do you think some of these things that like because a lot of times nurses do forget to do these things that matter or like the patient will ask for something specific and nurses are just like, Ugh, the patient in room two is so annoying. You know what I mean? Like, but do you think because of everything that you've been through, like it's impacted you in a way that, that has obviously sometimes you get jaded anyways, but impacted you in a way that you still like go out of the way to do those little things. Does that make sense? What I'm asking?
2: <laughs> yeah, it does. No, I, I think anytime you go through something like, something that profound, it, it's going to have an impact in your life, regardless of, of whether or not you want it to or not. And, and the same holds true here. Where, excuse me, I tend to, I, I think that it it helped me at, at the bedside, especially. Um, now you're right. You know, we we all have days where we all feel, uh, you know, like you said, jaded. Uh, but there are times where I catch myself, okay. You were there once. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's hard.
0: It's a grounded experience that you had both as a, as a nurse, as a patient, and as a nurse practitioner now that, you know, those foundations that we start in like in the beginning of nursing and like you guys said, you know, burnout, stress, you know, working overtime or having to work on your birthday or a holiday or be away from your family, all of that kind of like – Snowballs, But if you have those grounded moments or, you know, those little tidbits to reflect on and say, you know, this is really why I do this or I remember it from that side as the patient. And I think that's that's what nurses need as well, because
1: after all, we're all humans. I don't think this was the intent or the direction we were planning to go on this podcast episode at all. But but I think it's good. It, no, it's definitely good. I think it, it hits close to home a lot for me as well. Like, just don't forget why you started in the first place. Like, if you're feeling burnout right now, I know times are crazy. Try to get back to where you started, why you're doing this, and put yourself in your patient's shoes and say, you know what, what's something that, like, maybe small to to me, but Something that can really make an impact on their day, and whether it be like just spending a few minutes in their room talking about something other than their plan of care, um, just try to get back to your roots among, amongst all the craziness. So, with that being said, I think so, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. You we'll, we'll pivot a little bit. So, you had this diagnosis, you went through hell essentially, and then you started nursing school. And then what? what where you said you've always been in critical care. Did you go into ICU? What, what did that kind of look like for you?
2: Yeah, I've always... Uh, I got hired straight into the ICU right out of school, and uh, <laughs> which didn't think I was obviously going to get, but at the time, um, I didn't get a job until like April uh, of the following year. No, I, I was lucky enough. Uh, <laughs> I went into... Like I walked into HR one day at, at at the at the hospital, and I'm like, "Hey, you guys got any jobs? Like, I'm still looking for a job." And they're like, "You know, what are you looking for?" And I said, "I don't know." Uh, I said, "I'm a new grad. This would be my first job." And they said, "Okay, well, what do you what do you want?" And I said, "I don't know. I like the ICU and psych." <laughs> uh, oh, hey. you
1: like psych, hey? <laughs> We Lo- both are ICU nurses, new grad, and
2: we both like psych. It's weird. <laughs> and, and, and they said, well, we, we don't have any psych jobs open, but we have a position in the surgical trauma intensive care. And I was like, I'll take it. Oh, How do I, Dang, how do I apply? Dang,
0: I in. Head first.
2: <laughs> and uh, they're like, and, uh, I, I can only assume they, they must have been sh- pretty short staff. They're like, do you want to interview today? I was like, yes, let's interview today
0: dang that's awesome though
1: like i have not heard it's gonna happen let it happen like that
2: yeah (laughs) i guess i gotta go
1: to hr more (laughs) often (laughs) yeah you'd be going to hr but it's not for that reason no that is not true those rumors are (laughs) (laughs) false. it's usually me going to hr let's be real
0: okay so straight out of like how long were you in in that position, did you work in any other like CV ICU or any other type of intensive care units or is that your home base that you kind of stayed with until you went to the nurse practitioner role?
2: Yeah. It, I was there the whole time. I was surgical trauma intensive care the whole time. Now you get floated occasionally.
0: Um, right. Uh,
2: but it wasn't often. and uh, But my home base was always surgical trauma I see. Okay.
1: That's a hard That's job awesome. to get. Into. Like ICU is hard as a new grad. Trauma ICU is even harder to get into as a new grad. So the fact that you just walked into HR and was like, "Yo, give me a job," what? And they said, "Okay." What? <laughs> yeah, That's that
0: could have gone weird. one of two ways. You could have <laughs> just been in a locked unit with a bunch of people for psych, or this. But some of those patients are psych patients too. So. Well,
2: I uh, like the, my first day. My my first day there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but nervous, you know, I'm driving to work. It's my first day and, uh, I have no idea what to expect. And, and on my way there, I get behind an ambulance, like an ambulance passes me and they have their lights on. They're going, I'm team out an hour, uh, past me at like the road at the hospital. And I jokingly said uh, out loud, you know, I bet you, this will be my patient. And,
1: <laughs>
2: and not even know, like it's my first day. I've never been like, outside of like clinicals and stuff i not don't know what to expect and so I, I get up to the unit and my preceptor's there uh which is a great guy he's a really cool guy still friends with him to this day but uh you know we introduce ourselves and and he's and he's like Oh, john he's like we we got we got a patient coming <laughs> uh sounds sounds pretty sick and i'm like okay like oh. i don't know what that means like you're a new grad like everyone's sick to me looking around you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and it was like probably 10 15 20 minutes later or whatever like the the doors open to the ICU and the trauma surgeon is
1: mm. uh
2: strat has the essentially has the patient straddled on on the gurney he, and he's trying to like suture like this depressed uh, skull fracture uh, as like, oh. they're like trying to get this patient wheeled through the ICU. And I was like, "What? this, <laughs> this is what I'm meant to do right here.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> no wonder why you never left. You were like, this is it. <laughs> this is all I need. It's over. Yeah. Was, like,
2: from, from day one, I was like, this, this is, this is what I'm, this is what I'm meant to do. But you had that adrenaline See? rush on day one. I was like, this is it.
0: Yes, that that is what people who are interested in nursing or thinking about nursing that that moment right there, the aha moment of like, no, this is what I was born to do like that. I feel like ICU nurses in a code and ED nurses in a code. They feel that way, too. They're like, this is what I was born for.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: (laughs) unless they're running running the opposite direction and they're like a a new shade of white if there is one. pale.
2: (laughs) it yeah. happens too yeah yeah uh, well I, I had i had like a, a, a that kind of similar moment like in nursing school too because uh, look i'll be honest uh uh there were periods like while i was in nursing school where i was like i don't i i don't know if i want to do this anymore and and, um, I think
1: and everyone goes through
0: that in nursing school yeah yeah. yeah i'm in np school right now and i i literally went through that moment like three days ago like why why am i doing this <laughs> what
2: because because <laughs> we were doing clinicals and we had done like uh, a nursing home and we had done uh, ob yeah,
0: home health and oh. home
2: health yeah you home health and med surge and i thought to myself i hate everything about this like i <laughs> like i know why I, like i know why i wanted to get into this uh, profession i was like but this like i don't know if i can do this and it was our my last semester we were doing our critical care rotation back to critical care actually we did critical care and psych my last semester but um the critical care one we were we were going to we were going to just like an orientation day we we're only supposed to be there for like two or three hours or something just kind of like introduced to the unit and you know, learn your way around and, and leave and and they called this trauma uh trauma code overhead and uh i'm like okay like i don't know what that means and and they wheel this patient and there's blood everywhere and and we're at the resuscitation uh like the trauma bay there and uh they're like i don't know why but they're like we need a recorder we need someone to record and my instructor looked at me and she's like jonathan get up there and there was like a big whiteboard this massive whiteboard just in the front (laughs) and they hand me a uh a a dry erase marker and they're like you record <laughs> and i was like what do you mean okay. record
0: how do you spell epi <laughs> right. yeah. he was like and the doctor entered the room i'm sorry who are you please
2: and they're then and there's like when we yell numbers i'll just write them down <laughs> and i'm like okay
0: and then everybody's yelling
2: <laughs> yeah and 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 this, it was this it was a, a lady that got t-boned and oh. had a, a big head bleed and they're trying to put a, a, a ventric and stuff in and, and do all this stuff in, in, in the in this trauma bay. Um and, and they're actively like resuscitating her and, and all this stuff. And and I'm like trying to write this stuff down. I don't even know how to spell half the stuff.
1: <laughs>
2: and and I just remember like looking there and I'm like and but but you like you could see like everyone had like these roles, like it looked like just this mass chaos. Uh, but everyone was like, it was a chaotic orchestra where everyone's running around, but everyone has a purpose. And uh, and I, that was like, I was also a moment where I was like, I think I could do this part of the rest of my life. Like, this looks fun.
1: Yes, absolutely. They, they lost
0: him at OB, but they got him back <laughs> at the end.
1: <laughs> so, okay, so you did Critical Care you did icu nursing how soon did you decide to apply for np school
2: well it was a it that was a few years down the road see uh it was never my intention uh i just i thought to myself initially honestly after i got my my bachelor's degree uh like i'm never going to get it uh, i'm never going to go back to school again and and but the longer i was in the icu uh when I when I first started, we didn't have an intensivist program, mm-hmm.
1: and, and so like
2: what was that? I'm sorry.
1: Would you do it like over tele?
2: No, we there was no intensivist, so it was it was like it just like the the PCPs or, or you know if you yeah, if you had fa- internal hospitalists medicine internal it, yeah. medicine. Um,
0: well and then being in trauma you had the surgeons that are uh, surgeons and essentially anesthesia that are just dictating everything right there
2: yeah they, the tr- they had the trauma they had the trauma program but like for uh, or the trauma surgeon the trauma critical care I should say you had right. those people but like for the like the medical patients that would get floated into our unit or, or the medical overflow or whatever like you're not, you're dealing with just like the hospitalist group for medical, uh, ICU, ICU stuff, or like you need vent change. You're calling the pulmonologist at home in the middle of the night, not, not palm crit or anything. So, um, a a handful of years, probably, I probably was there four years and they, and then an intensivist group came in and the intensivist group. Um, and I, I didn't, I, I really didn't have much, uh, uh, experience with, with, APP's through these couple years because I worked mainly night shift. Um, now the trauma team had had PAs that they used uh, but I, but I had never really had met an MP per se um, uh, but then the intensivist group came in and started running uh, all our ICUs and they they utilized MPs. And, and so the MPS would come over and, and you know do the intubations, do the central way lines, uh, you know, CBC's
1: everything. Yeah, yeah, whatever,
2: whatever procedure needed done, and they do the admissions, and and you know that's who you're calling, and and you know, at night it's, it's essentially just them running the show. Uh and I'm like, and I thought like that, like that, that looks fun to me like I think I can do more. Yeah. Uh, and I want to I want to I want to try that. I want to do this. But I didn't apply right away. Um, it just was always in, in the back of my head after they took over like man, like these guys are really smart. Like everyone you know, looks kind of looks up and respects these people. And uh, after a, a year or two or or so of working with them I started applying. Uh, to grad school and eventually got in. Um, But it was about six years. I was six years of ICU before I applied.
1: Oh, wow. So you had quite the experience under your belt. Now, what kind of program did you do? Did you do like uh, adult gerontology, acute care, or something different?
2: Well, I... I couldn't I try I applied to to the acute care programs mm-hmm. uh, and got rejected like eight times mm. and uh
1: but you didn't give up uh,
2: and but and I finally thought to myself well what I'll do is try to get into a family program and so I got accepted initially into a family program and uh <laughs> really so we're we're like in our, our our one of our first classes and, and we're talking about like copd and, and stuff like that and i'm so, i have critical care is so ingrained into my head and, and yeah. mind you i'm in a family program and <laughs> they're like well let's talk about the management of like copd and stuff like that and I said, okay and, and like you know you come in a patient you, know, you have a patient that's that's a little short of breath and some wheezing and, and well, you know what should we do? And I'm like, I know, uh, probably some BiPAP and some ABGs. And uh,
0: they're
1: like,
2: we're in an out- <laughs> We're in an outpatient clinic, Jonathan. And I was like, okay, this <laughs> call EMS. This is, <laughs> I said, this this really isn't for me. So I finished out that semester, and coincidentally, uh, I got a call. Apparently, I was on a wait list. I didn't even know I agreed to be on a wait list. <laughs> And uh, from a program that I applied to, and they they called me and they're like, hey, we have a position open uh, for the acute care program. Would you be interested? I was like, yes, immediately. Where do I sign up? Wow. And uh, that was kind of how I got my break in, into the acute care side of it.
1: So, okay. That, that's cool. But so you did do the adult, adult gerontology yeah. acute care? Yeah. The one you did? Yeah. Now, did you do MSN or DNP?
2: I did MSN. Um,
1: okay.
2: I didn't. I didn't see the, the benefit of the DMP at at the time, because uh, oh, it, it, yeah. it's more clinic, it, That's more academic uh, for it academic settings. Yeah. And it's it's great if you want to uh, be a professor, um, which I also do on the side, uh, coincidentally and oh
0: side hustle yeah, yeah. educating I'll that in a minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but at the time like i didn't see the the, the 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 need for it um so i went the msn route in hopes that down the line i would go back and, and do the, the the doctorate portion of it um and, and still to this day like if you have no plans on being in the, in the academic setting uh I, I don't. And this is my personal opinion, because uh, the, there's no difference in pay.
1: No, there's um,
2: not. Now, if you just want the terminal degree, uh, understandable. Some like for me, it's a personal goal. Uh, I'll get there, um, and I'm going to get it. It's not going to benefit me in the clinical setting, um, you know, from from a pay scale standpoint. Uh, for me, it's more of a personal goal to get my my doctorate degree than anything
1: Uh, it's interesting because we've um uh, throughout this podcast we've interviewed quite a few different people um and a lot of it has been like okay asn versus bsn or msn versus dnp DNP, academic institutions really push down your throat that you need that higher degree to get a job to land that job that you want which is just not true anymore like
2: that's not it. Facilities
1: will take ASN nurses. Facilities will take MSN NPs. Now,
0: if you they want... will take anyone right now, <laughs> anyone even with a fake license, they will
1: take you. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, they they will take they will take it now. And it's funny because a lot of from what I've heard, because I'm looking into schools myself right now to hopefully start in the fall, is like. And that's my end goal is I want to teach at the academic, uh, at at like the collegiate level. And I've heard so much from like professors in different schools say, oh, well, if you want to teach, you really need to go and get your PhD. And I'm like, no, no, that's, that's not what I need to do, actually. Like, I think that I can teach with an MSN or a DNP and still be good at my job and get the job. You can
2: now there are so,
1: not, not impossible, but
2: um, it's not impossible. It's, it's harder.
1: It is definitely harder,
2: but definitely not impossible. Uh, I, do, I do know uh, there's even some local universities that will only take you know DM you know doctorate degree you know for, for academic settings. Um. Now I only have my MSN. Uh, I'd like to start working towards my my doctorate degree, but you know, I, I, I'm an adjunct professor, you know, on the side with my MSN.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, you're not going to be maybe a full-time professor, you know what I mean? Like with an MSN, unfortunately, unless like it's at like a ASN or ADN or LPN degree program. Um, but it's not in Possible, either to do like adjunct. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your scope of practice as a critical care nurse practitioner. What kind of procedures can you do?
2: Procedure wise, um, procedure wise. Ooh, I do intubations, uh, central line, a line, dialysis catheters, uh, chest tubes. thoracentesis, chest tubes, paracentesis. I, I'll put abdominal drains in if I need to. Um, catheters no i'm just <laughs> kidding
1: i did
2: I, I have i i still have a couple of times when when people couldn't get, get them for whatever reason um intub, intub, intubating in, in bronx and yeah i used to really like uh, putting we central lines and stuff in but after 600 or 700 or however many i've done i i've the luster is is, is gone Hmm.
1: What do you recommend for someone who wants to become a critical care nurse practitioner? Do you think that they have to have ICU ED experience first?
2: Uh, yes, that's a hill I will die on. Um, <laughs> I agree. Uh, I've.
0: Will they even okay, stop? 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 Will they even allow them into any program without any critical care experience?
2: Here's another hill I'm going to die on. Yes, they will. I I no. think it's. I. Me, me personally, I think it's ridiculous.
1: I mean, you well, can take it's similar like you yeah. can CCRN, um, and get your CCRN, but they're asking like you you questions about like ventilators, ABG. I mean, ABG interpretation. I shouldn't say that. You should know how to do that as a PC nurse. Um, so so they ask you like these advanced critical care questions, and it's not necessarily the level of care patient that you're taking care of
2: the that uh, i i think the the whole mp uh education needs reformed um i'm sorry i'm a, I'm an mp myself but but i i think i i think i've earned the right to say this because of, of going through it and and doing what i do for a career now uh where there needs to be standardized education because oh, yes. what what I guess one of the, one of my issues is for one um, these direct entry programs where people are, are just, they're getting their BSN and going straight into to MP school. Uh, I,
0: no experience. I
2: do not agree with that. And, and, but people, and people get frustrated with me because, you know, like I'll talk to to students and stuff at at the, where I work, um, and, and like, well, I w- I'd like to do what you what you're doing, or uh, you know, and I got I I got I'm am applying to, to to schools now. I'm like, why? Yeah. Well, well, because I I want to do what you like. I want to do what you want to do. I'm like, yeah, but you don't even know how to do the stuff that I knew how to. You know, I I. I think that this this is a profession that is really built off a of foundation.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
2: And you need a solid foundation before you can step up your game. Uh
1: Yeah.
2: And people will argue with me and, and that's fine. People don't agree with what I with, with what I'm saying and and that's fine as well. Uh but I you know, When I started school, some of the questions that that we would ask or or some of the topics we would talk about or a lot of – I don't want to say just some, but a lot of the topics that we talked about. If you didn't have a background in any of that uh, from the bedside, uh, you would be – you'd be lost. You'd be clueless.
1: Yep. And people still push through those programs. I I I was
0: literally Hannah and I were just talking about this before you you got on about me in school and some of the people that I'm in class with and I I told her I said I'm just baffled by some of this cuz it's like I I don't understand how you would feel confident enough to take this next step in your career when you don't have a foundation and I mean
2: well to to me it's 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 a big Dunning Kruger effect, where you don't know uh, you don't know what you don't know,
0: uh, right? Yeah. So
2: I mean, I, I mean, I, I, if you guys know what Dun, the Dunning Kruger effect is, you know where you, you people on this side you think they're really smart, but they don't really know anything because they don't know what they don't know.
1: Right. You don't um, even know the questions to ask because you don't know exactly. Yeah.
2: And and so you have all this confidence, and 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 you and confidence and you uh, or where you're overly it's confident a false, it's a false, false
0: sense of yeah yeah false sense of security where
2: you think you know everything and, and you think that you can do this uh and then you actually start doing it and then you you end up down in the in the depth of despair in the bottom of yeah. dunning kruger where where you uh or essentially you really there comes a point where you realize you're clueless
0: and then you give up completely
2: yeah and, and it, it's hard to get out of that you know and, and yeah. even even with my you know by the time i graduated i had about eight or almost nine years of critical care experience as a bedside rn and the role is completely different but but what helped me more than anything was yes like there were there were a lot of times where um I didn't know the answer right off the top of my head, uh. But my background in critical care and 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 managing, you know, drips and 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 vents and stuff, and seeing with it and seeing it for so many years, and understanding of, of what to look for, and um, right,
0: the mechanics behind it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like, were you were you have an understanding where okay, I may not know the answer, you know, right this second. Um,
0: but I can get but to I, it. Yeah, but yeah. I can
2: get to it. But I can only get to it because of the background that I had.
0: Right. And you can work through it. And I think that's what makes critical care nurses and you know higher level or advanced care nurses um, apart from other individuals who just kind of come out and go with the status quo because that's a thing. You might not have the answer, but you, you've got the background and you can figure out the mechanics behind it. Yeah.
1: And I think another thing, um, if you are someone who's considered an NP, um, something that's not talked about a lot is an NP residency. Um, did you do an NP residency, Jonathan?
2: No, I didn't. Uh, when, when I was getting ready to graduate, I actually looked into them. Um, yeah. Uh, and I graduated a, a few years ago, uh, 2017, I believe, um, I, I looked into them. There were only a, a couple you know, that I could even find are, in the country. I think I think yeah. more had popped up since then. Um,
1: so they they are growing. I'll, for those of you who don't know what this is, um, I personally didn't know about it until maybe last year. Um, NP residency is similar to like a medical residency program, where once you're finished with your program, you apply to be a resident at a facility typically they're offered at teaching facilities and it's generally that you're there for about a year um they'll pay you um to be there and you are really just working with like at, at the how do i say this
0: you're a resident
1: yeah, you're a resident, essentially. <laughs> and, like, I don't know, and I work with residents. You're an NP resident. Like, yeah. you at it, but... Yeah. Some, of the, yeah. some of the best NPs I know did go through residency, and they are few and far between, and they're really competitive. They're hard to get into. But if you can get into an NP residency, you really should do one, um, because they truly do set you apart as a practitioner. Well,
2: I agree. I mean, the, and the way they're set up, for people that don't know, is you essentially do uh, so many hours of, of you know, in the, in the clinic for whatever setting you're in, Uh, a lot of them are ICU residencies that I had seen. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, where you're on the, in the ICU for so many hours and then, you know, you spend the last two or three hours like in a didactic class uh, learning, you know, you going over the patients and, and, and learning, you know, fundamentally like why, why you're doing this, this disease process, this disease process. So it's like, continuance of school but you're getting paid to be there um but i i would find that extremely helpful
1: oh for sure and if you do an np residency program you pretty much have a job wherever you
2: want yeah no i agree those you would be highly sought after i believe
1: oh absolutely they're very very prestigious programs and they really just develop you into be a wonderful um practitioner so, all right, Jonathan, we won't ask you specifically what you pay, because it's what you get paid, because it varies vastly across the, um, the country, and it's a little bit rude. Um, a little? <laughs> but, but, you know, this is a burning question that we always ask. Like, so... As a critical care nurse practitioner, do you generally get paid more than other NP specialties, less compared to other NP specialties? What do you think it kind of ranks as? Uh, more.
2: more. More.
1: Do you think you get paid more than psych?
2: Oh.
1: Yeah, that one's a hard one, especially right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that-
0: but it's even harder if you're a NP for critical care doing locum <laughs> cuz yeah. that that's like two hundred and fifty thousand. But it depends
2: yeah, on where you're is. at too.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. Now, what does your typical week look like? Are you week on, week off? What? How, how does that look for you? Uh,
2: yeah, I do seven on, seven off. Um. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. But back
0: to the lifestyle of seven on, seven off. Is that something that you enjoy, um, or you've just kind of like come up, become accustomed to?
2: Probably more so, become accustomed to it. Um.
1: And you have kids. Is that hard with ki- like you know having having little kids?
2: Yes. Uh, uh, so on my week,
1: if this is putting you down a path, like we don't, you don't have to talk about this. I didn't mean to. Like
2: no, no, it's uh, th- that's fine. Uh, okay.
1: So if you have, you have kids, is that is that kind of like hard for you to navigate with having kids?
2: You don't really you don't really see them. You know you you understand that essentially yeah. for a week at a time. Um, you don't see your children, uh, That's except silly. for, you know, bedtime. yeah, essentially yeah, it's usually bedtime actually. So yeah. I, well, on my week, one week off, cause I do seven 12s. So it's seven it's 12s. Um, one week is day shift. One week is night shift.
0: Um, okay. I was going to ask that if you're a mixed shift.
2: So uh, actually on my night shift, I see my kids more than I do on my day shift.
1: Yeah. People say that That's understandable yeah Uh, well all right we're getting long in this episode so we'll rapid fire questions favorite favorite thing about your job
2: (laughs) favorite thing i i i probably like the whole aspect of it i like the autonomy that 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 we've uh that i've acquired um and and i say that because uh, when i first started you know i'm working with with my attendings who yeah, and, and you're building a trust relationship. You're building a relationship with them too, right? Um, yeah. But and and they're overlooking everything that you do because they don't know your skill set, uh, right? And, and uh, vice versa. I don't know their skill set. I don't know what they want me to do. I don't know. Um, but now that some time has elapsed, and I I feel like I've really proven myself and really you know pushed through and and did where I'm I'm pretty autonomous now, and that you know I'll I'll admit somebody. Um, and you know hey jonathan can you we got this patient coming here can you go see him and i go do you know essentially the whole admission the lines call the consults do everything uh and then i just uh, you know you go back to to him and say or him or her and say hey uh here's what i did a b c d e f g um and they're like okay you know you've developed this, this trust this relationship yeah. this good working relationship and my everyone in my group is really great and we, we all work, uh, well together. Um, but that's probably my favorite part is this, is this essentially this autonomy yeah, yeah. That, that I've built in yeah. this, in this trust relationship with, with these people where, you know, cause you're, you're working with them and they're, they're, they're overseeing you, but you've earned their trust enough to where they trust your decisions. And the
1: least favorite?
2: Rounding.
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's everybody's yeah well we right. don't want to run with you either <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: it, i obviously you understand you know why it needs done but no, you know, no, it's it it gets gets boring We're, sometimes
0: first yeah. thing ever rounding with new people
2: <laughs> <laughs> or, or when, when when the attend or when you change attendings in the middle of the week and uh
1: Uh, And rounds
2: now went from 45 minutes to two and a half hours because they, you know, everyone's learning the patients all over again.
1: Yeah. How has COVID affected your job? Are you working on like a COVID unit right now or?
2: Yeah. Uh, It's, it's exhausting, honestly. And, and it, I, I was, I was trying to figure out, I was talking to the one at my one attending the other day. And I said, you know, what's, what's crazy is if, you know, we all work seven on seven off pretty much. And, you know, before, b- before COVID, I get the end of the work week and it would take me like a day to recover and by day two, like you're feeling good, uh, back to normal. Right. And I said, but it's taking me like three, four days to, to, to finally feel normal again. Like when I get to the end, of the, when we get to the end of these weeks, like it's not just uh physically exhausted, but you're mentally exhausted. You're emotionally exhausted.
1: Yeah. I've heard this from you're not the first person I've heard this from. And and I was a victim and before I stepped away from IC full time, like I was a victim of this myself. Like literally just my days off were not days off because I spent the whole time just like
2: drained. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, I really sat I'm like what what's different? Uh and, and you know what I think it is, and I think this plays a big part is is the is the death portion of what of what, we're, of what yeah. we're seeing.
0: No, it's so true. It's a I think the huge factor, I mean, and just talking to uh, like new nurses, experienced nurses and just myself personally like I was in a real cush job and decided to go back to the ICU because of COVID. And then it's the psychological drain that gets you mentally and emotionally where you're able to is as, as practitioners, we can see that, right? We can take care of these patients, but it's every patient and it starts to break down those barriers that we put up um, to keep ourselves uh, like a, a step away from the real situation. And I know like, everybody is a little bit different from that, that standpoint, but in nursing and especially in critical care, we're always able to take a step away from like that code that, you know, they had to call it or, you know, this individual who was terminal and they decided, you know, it was they to withdraw like Mm -hmm. as practitioners, it's not our family. Right. So we can take a, a step back, but in COVID it's, you're not really able to take that back from one patient because you have all of these patients that are doing the same thing. So from a psychological standpoint, it's the whole unit going through these emotions and no families there. And the patients are scared, plus like all the other systemic issues that medicine is facing and haven't dealt with and now in the midst of a pandemic are trying to figure out where they're gonna get more practitioners
1: where they're gonna get more nurses but no it's it's i'm gonna sound like a sociopath for a second here but i mean maybe i am but go off um death really didn't bother me that much when i like pre-covid bc before covid it didn't like i could you know, like I, I would feel it in the moment, and I would be there and present for the family members and whatnot, right. the patient. But I'd come home, and you know, I'd, I'd hang out with my husband and watch a show, and I'd be like, nothing happened, you know. Yeah. But now, like the vast amount of deaths, like it, it bothers me a lot more than it used to. And like, I, I definitely have seen myself bring that home, and that's not me at all. Like, it's just. What? it's been hard on the nursing community as a whole. And I think it, a lot of it is to do with the vast majority of patients dying, unfortunately, especially in the critical, like once you're intubated, like. That's it. Yeah. That's it.
2: And uh, yeah, so, so at, least, at least for me, so I was thinking about this the, the other day and I said, you know, what really changed, you know, what the, the death, right? And, and you're right. So BC will go before COVID. Um, you know, for every 10 patients we had, Nine will get out of the ICU. One will die. Now, when you work in critical mm-hmm. care, you understand that life or that death is a part of life. People are going to die, and and, and, yeah. and you and, and you take kind of pride. You work in, in critical care, and, and and sometimes in those deaths where you actually where you're helping the family uh, or the patient uh, get to that transition point where they where they pass away. Yeah. And so there's some comfort that. knowing that, that that you've you've helped them in in that way, right? Right. But, but there's a, a direct inverse relationship right now of deaths to to uh, survival, survival Yeah, where, and it's deflating and deflating yeah, for every 10 patients you have now, nine die a- and one yep, might yep. get out. And that, and that's, and that one person, um, you know, if they eventually get out yeah. it is, a, is essentially going to be. Their life is completely altered. They're ne- you know, they're never going to work again. They're never going back to the same quality of yeah. life that they had before. So even that one person that got out, uh, it's like, is
1: what, it's worth it? Because are, are they going to live a meaningful life after
2: this? Yeah, and, and and so when you in and when you intubate these people, you know, your your mortality uh, goes mm-hmm. to over sixty five percent. Um, exponential and then and then you know I, i'd read a statistic somewhere uh you know once you, if you require paralytic to for oxygenation your your mortality goes to almost 100 percent um mm-hmm. your know, mortality uh in cardiac arrest due to COVID is 100 is um yeah and and so when, when you when you think when you think about this stuff like you know that once you when you're in the these these people that is essentially a death sentence and it's not a it's not it's not even like it's a fast it's not even like it's a fast quick thing it's drawn out yeah. over a week or two weeks or three weeks or sometimes even longer um yeah where you you know you're doing everything you can but you're almost doing it in a where where you almost feel helpless because you you are aware of what the end game potentially is or likely yeah. is so that part's deflating so you not only is the the death portion but you you feel like you you're, you're you're
0: sentencing them to death by doing this life-saving procedure because we know the statistics we know over and over again it's like you know you see this patient and you're like well we've seen this story before because like this is how it's going down and the other issue it, that I personally experienced was the the age like the younger individuals who were being afflicted the same way is like you're elderly. I know, I know it sounds morbid, but you know, when you have somebody who's 60, 70 in their eighties, you can say, okay, you know, they've really lived their life. But when you have a 30 year old or, you know, someone who's like a young mom going through this, that's hard. Yeah. 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 And helpless.
2: Yeah, you're right. And, and, you know, just lost a, a single father, uh, age like 40, you know, th- this week due to covid you know that yeah. that weighs on your mind because i'm 36 with two kids like i'm not that far off uh, yep i we had a handful of uh, way more than what i ever expected of 40 and 50 year olds uh yeah go down That's you. um I, there were some 30 year olds uh most of those ended up getting off the ventilator thankfully um it but
0: but with lifelong yeah like yeah repercut like lifelong issues
2: dialysis and and everything Um, so yeah it's true and i think
1: I, i i think our our facility obviously thou shall not be named just released statistics over the last year and they said it was like 50 50 um on people whether or not they had uh comorbidities or not like 50 percent of the patients didn't even have any comorbidities
2: yeah it's it's such a crazy disease uh, and and now you're talking about more more virulent strains where it's affecting younger people yeah it's crazy to think about um I, i probably just had one of my saddest conversations ever uh this week um Working in the COVID ICU, we I rarely get to see anybody that's not intubated. Yeah, and by the time they get to us, they've already intubated them, um, because we're we were so full, uh, that that was kind of one of the stipulations was you know you know where before we would take someone on high flow or BiPAP, we've essentially become so filled that the only way you're getting into our ICU is is Intubation yeah, or two, or
1: something. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's so how it is. I think that's a lot. Of, a lot of places are like, yeah, it is, sure.
2: it is. It uh, is. Almost everyone I talk to is, is like that.
1: Yeah. Um, seventy percent on BiPAP on the floor because they, you know what I mean. Like, well, there's nowhere. To the go matriculation stay.
2: effect is is that because you uh, ICUs are like that. Now step downs are essentially taking care of ICU patients. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, GMS
2: are taking care yeah. of step down yeah. patients. And,
1: and then if you didn't leave to, to leave your staff position to go travel, you're still getting paid the same to, you know, essentially be like flexed up and taking more higher acuity patients than you're used to. Not to mention nurses weren't getting paid what they should have been in the first place. You know, like it's a whole. It's negative. A whole I call that a
0: negative feedback cycle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's, I could literally talk about this all day. But how are you coping with it all? And maybe you're not. Maybe maybe you're not. Let's see.
2: <laughs> I, <know>. um. <laughs> I, I I just I just drink all the time. No.
1: Okay. okay. <laughs> Only on his seven days off. yeah. Uh, of course. For his employer listening. Sorry, sorry. I um.
2: kind of how I. One of the things I turned to during all this was just this the social media stuff. Really, honestly. Um. Now when I back when the, the pandemic started because i i joined this is gonna sound weird but i joined tiktok back in i think april or may um you know we were shut down so and someone showed me a video and i was like oh what's 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 tiktok and uh,
0: hey <laughs> that's how i said it the first time too
2: <laughs> and uh I'm like oh it's like this this little video app where they make like 15 and 30 seconds clips and i'm like oh like Vine. and they're like yeah, yeah kind of like that and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I, I just I downloaded it and I was just messing around and like I made a video and and, and everyone was and I got a lot of like I got a lot of views and uh, like a couple hundred thousand people watched it and I was like oh what I was like oh well, this is cool and I started making more and more and more and all of a sudden like yeah I had a hundred followers and then a thousand and then five ten twenty and you know, now it's like
0: that's so exciting like your cathartic outlet has turned into like comic relief for people who definitely can relate
2: <laughs> yeah and 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 people are like well because some of it's dark humor and and whatnot but
0: oh, for sure, well, <laughs> so, which is greatly appreciated thank you continue please
2: <laughs> people you know so for me for me it was an outlet like i can kind of make fun of these things but then people started like sending me messages and they're like Oh my god! Like, I I laughed today, for, you know, uh, after a terrible shift, uh, and, and and these, you know, I watched your video and it you know it kind of brightened my day or it made me laugh and it made me kind of forget about all the bad things and and uh, so I just kept going with it and and it just it panned out and I and I enjoy it. Um, I ne- I never meant for it to go anywhere. I literally just started. I was making fun of the ED the one day. Uh, <laughs>
1: I love that video because
2: that's that's what you do when you work in a critical carriage. You make fun of the emergency of department,
0: and you know they're downstairs
1: making fun of us. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Why not? Yeah, they. Do. I mean, it's healthy banter. And uh, all right, I'm gonna go for a second. My favorite video you did was <laughs> the PACU you uh, or OR uh, report. <laughs> 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 I've showed you that one like ten times, a week, Kristen. Oh. As long as as well as everyone in our friend group. So that, uh-huh. that's
0: where I left. I left there to go back to the ICU. I still was doing like like part-time, but then I'm like, I was enjoying the PACU pre-op, doing like stuff here and there. And then I left that to come back to ICU. So she loves to tell me about that kind of report. I was like, I want you to know that I was an excellent ICU nurse and an excellent PACU <laughs> nurse. And I, I never pulled that crap.
2: I don't you're pushing
0: it. the Neo, and you're like, go, 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 go. Oh, it cracks me up every time. You have I, to go check this, I never this. pushed it. I never pushed it. Anesthesia was always present, and that was <laughs> in my
1: notes as well. <laughs> so are you ever worried about, like, what your employer is going to say? How do you protect yourself um, and kind of ensure HIPAA compliance with, you know? I- you're a practitioner, and you're on TikTok and social
2: media. I, I don't. I don't. For one, I, I don't talk about patient stuff, um,
1: of course, at not. all.
2: Uh, and, and even if I bring up, like, even if I kind of make fun of a scenario that I was in, um, it's never the. It would. It would never be the, the the same age or sex or, or anything. Yeah. Um, just keep it really vague. Yeah, yeah, really vague, really vague stuff. Now. I don't put, you know, you've never seen me in a, in a, anything with like the company logo or, or anything on as well. Um, you know, people have asked me like, well, why you can make, why don't you do stuff while you're at the hospital, you know, for better effect. Like, no, not a route. I will even go down.
1: No, Um, too many bad doors.
2: And, and, yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right. It opens up too many doors, and uh, so because
1: I, I, what one day what's gonna happen is one day you're gonna like really take off, and you're gonna start. I don't know if you already like make money off or get monetized or not, I, and I don't really need to know. But if you were to, they're gonna be like, well, you're you're recording on company t- time. That's you know that's our money.
2: Oh yeah, creative
1: content. Someone's name or whatever gets slipped, or you bring Brad Press or whatever, like
2: i never even thought about it i never even thought about that portion of it but to me it was more like to for me it was always well if if if, when i'm at work i get paid to do i get i'm getting paid to do a certain job and and that's not it right um yeah
0: he's a professional this is his cathartic outlet (laughs) like church and state kind (laughs) of separated
2: yeah so so what i do outside of work uh,
1: (laughs) which one's church?
0: Work is uh, church. Probably. can i just tell you if you need legal counsel i'm more than happy to help um i'm not in any way <laughs> shape or form um licensed take- to do that
1: but i know people
2: <laughs> fair enough you're
1: so stupid. anyways <laughs> you're, you really took off though and you were even on the jimmy kimmel show right
2: yes i was.
1: How was that experience for you i'm sure it was we won't kind of go into like the details of it you guys can look it up but well, I want to know how it
0: happened. Like, how did you how did you get on the Jimmy Kimmel radar?
2: I got a message on Instagram, and um, it it was said, "Hi, my name is so and so. I'm a producer for ABC. Uh, would you be interested in doing a healthcare heroes segment?" And I said, "Sure." <laughs> and Wait. went about five hours. Because I, to me, like I thought, was well, some type of scam. Like,
0: yeah, right? Like better. they're gonna ask me to send, like, to send money to their We'd family bubble. in Africa or whatever uh, to fly you over. And
2: and and I thought, well, what if it's not though? Uh, so <laughs> I I email I uh, message him back, and I said, sorry for the you know insincere reply earlier. My assumption <laughs> is that this is a scam. Um, so. <laughs> however I worded it after that, you know, I can't exactly remember. Um, and they replied back, no, I get it all the time. I understand. And they sent me their business card. Oh. And they said, you know, if if you're interested, let's just set up a zoom meeting. Uh, and I'm like, well, okay, well, it sounds legit. Like zoom meeting, you know, where I can actually see the person. Uh, like, so I set it up and, and, uh, yeah, so that that's that's how it was just ran one random message one on Instagram wow. one day that I decided to answer.
1: That's awesome. That's crazy. that's crazy. I mean, so I I just can't. That doesn't comprehend. Does not compute. I can't even put words out. But um, yeah, you can cut that blab out. <laughs> out oh, oh, duly noted.
2: <laughs> she, she already had it marked.
0: Right, for an hour and 17 minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> so you were on the Jimmy Kimmel show, and now you're on the Nurses in the No show. I know, it's it's quite the feat. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs>
2: Both an honor.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, and a privilege, right? That's right. <laughs> Oh, so, how would you? I guess you already talked talk a lot about your platform. Um, how can people find you?
2: Uh, on TikTok at the Jonathan Dotson and Instagram at the Jonathan Dotson. Just kept the same name.
1: Um, I think it's important to note because I I'm going to be honest. I always spell your name wrong. It's J O H N and not J O. Yes,
2: I was never able to get uh like glasses or um Aww, souvenirs man. when we went places when i was like in elementary school uh, because no one no mm. one spells it th- that way but you're right it's j-o-h-n-a-t-h-a-n um and the common obviously the common spelling is without the h
1: yes so um look him up he's hilarious. Um, I think it's time for your favorite part of the show, Kristen.
0: Yes. So I don't know if you got a chance on the interview questions for like the little backstory behind the three R's. I'll leave that up to you. But three R's are regrets, redos, and rewards. So those regrets could be missed opportunities, trips, experiences, something that you wanted to if you could go back and. Um, live in that moment again, and that could also be your redo if you'd like. And then, lastly, um, what has been your biggest reward um, to date in your career?
1: Yeah, we try to keep it like career.
2: A-
0: I love them because I feel like you get to know who we're talking to a little bit better.
2: I uh, so I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, probably one of the, the regrets or redos, and I, and I wish I would have done this uh, now. I I could still do it as an MP uh, but I wish I would have traveled. I wish I would have been a a traveling, uh, a travel RN, um, you know, back when I was younger. Cause I, I I think when, I think I really missed an opportunity there, you know, when I'm younger and you could, you you know, before you have kids, obviously. Uh, And and you could do it now with kids, uh, obviously, but
1: it's all, it makes it, it does. Yeah. It does
2: make it harder. But, but I think then you could have really enjoyed like, going around the country and visiting places uh that's one of the things i wish that i regret or i wish i would have or i I would redo if i could go back
1: okay all right
0: all right i kind of kind of resonate with that a little bit um i think a little over a year ago i was thinking um very heavily about going and doing the traveling thing
1: but decided not to yeah same same and rewards
2: i had to think about this one for for a little bit but uh, you know i think only from the from my career standpoint uh, and, and doing what we do um i think the probably the most rewarding thing are the thank yous that, that you get like i always appreciated uh And, and maybe more so because I'm a career night shift person. I, I only started working daylight when I became an MP. Uh, It's like nine years of like night shift. Um, When Mm -hmm. when a family would send me like a thank you letter, like you really uh, thanks for helping save our daughter or, you know, you really made an impact. Um, That's probably the most rewarding thing. Uh,
1: thanks for shaving
2: my face yeah like like those yeah. like those thank you no
1: seriously yeah no especially, it
0: is. especially on night shift because you go like sometimes you don't ever see the family and they don't even know that you've had a hand in that person's care
2: you're you're right so yeah sometimes we're kind of literally in the dark uh with yeah. everything
0: unsung heroes
2: um and then when you finally do get a knowledge you're like yeah yes I'm doing something right. Uh, or, you know, cause, cause it happens, it happens everywhere. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, okay, uh, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy the nurses. Um, I don't know. Donuts, donuts and they something. only bring it for day <laughs> and, and yeah And they get there at 9am. And yeah. Uh, yeah. there might, there's like one, there's like the one, person always cuts a donut in the quarters and there'll be like one quarter of a donut left. And whoever does that, you guys should. You guys should get your fingers cut off because eat eat, eat yeah, the whole, eat the whole thing. Eat the whole donut. Don't just well, they, cut it in the corner.
0: That's that person <laughs> on the keto diet. They were just cheating a little bit.
2: You're you're a terrible person. That's all I know. <laughs> they probably kick their puppies.
1: It was <laughs> someone has someone has an Instagram page and it, it's all about like night shift, the night shift food, and it's literally just pictures of like. A quarter of a donut <laughs> like the cheese pizza <laughs> like that's their yeah. whole thing it's hilarious it's funny to me because i never worked night shift
2: uh how'd you, how,
1: the struggle is real yeah
2: how did you how did you get your whole career and never work a night shift
1: i don't know i was just really lucky i started as a new grad in an icu um did day shift and then I went to C- I did CVICU, did day shift, and now I do rounding nurse, um, and I'm still day shift. It's pretty sweet. Yeah.
0: I mean, I was slated when I started in the ICU to start on nights because when we started, every GN started on nights. And then there was a position for days that opened, and I was really lucky that um, the A&M that I had and the nurse manager I had at the time really liked me. So they pulled me two days um but then working pre-op in PACU I ended up working until two three o'clock in the morning so you have missed out on the joys
1: of sleep and let me guess let me tell you it will never be (laughs) one of my regrets or redos of my nursing career
0: honestly I kind of enjoyed it when no one was around because you just you just do you and you don't have to worry about all the other
1: Bull. I did practicum nights. I know that was a really long time ago, back in 2017. <laughs> um, but I did practicum nights, and I was evil. Like I was Satan. I hated it. Well, it's not for you everyone.
0: Can, you can count yourself as very fortunate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my husband can count himself as very fortunate, actually. Anyways, well, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has truly been a pleasure. It's been very inspiring to hear your story um and a little bit like humbling to kind of take me back to remember why I started and why it's important to go out of your way to do the little things um so thank you for that I really appreciate that um as always you can find him um on the social medias The social medias because you know we're grandmas over here at Nurses in the Know
0: Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget, every Friday we drop a new
1: episode. And if you, if you want to support us, make sure to get, leave us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you could also make sure that you're following us for our updates on our socials, at Nurses No Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta.